Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email transfer at mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Mi'kmaq fishers in Nova Scotia have been waiting for 20 years to be able to earn a moderate livelihood from the fishery, recognized in the Donald Marshall decision. So ears perked up last month when Chief Terry Paul of Member 2 announced that a deal with the feds on Nova Scotia was close. That came as a surprise to many. Yes, the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq chiefs have been in talks with Canada and Nova Scotia, but most people have been in the dark about what's been going on. Chief Terry seemed to walk back that talk a few days later, stating in a written announcement that they were close only among the chiefs and that any deal would be brought to the Mi'kmaq people. But the exchange confirms the concerns among many Mi'kmaq about the lack of transparency about the so-called Made in Nova Scotia process on rights negotiation. And there are concerns too about the nature of the agreement that might emerge, its impact on rights in the Peace and Friendship Treaties and Mi'kmaq constitutional rights. Foremost among those sounding the alarm is Corey Francis. Corey Francis is a member of the Acadia First Nation in Nova Scotia and has served in fisheries portfolios in a number of organizations. He has worked with the Confederation of Mainland Mi'kmaq and for the Maliseet Conservation Council. He is concerned that the benefits of any agreement will not reach down to ordinary Mi'kmaq people and the agreement might not end the law enforcement or harassment of Mi'kmaq fishers. Here's my conversation with Corey Francis. I started by asking him about the moderate livelihood fishery and the negotiation process that arose out of the Donald Marshall decision. Moderate livelihood, as I understand it in my research, is certainly a legal term. Moderate livelihood was coined by the Supreme Court of Canada justices in the Marshall uh, trial. Um, and a moderate livelihood uh, comes with a number of legal criteria. In, in my opinion, as a layman, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, it talked about it can't equate to wealth. Well, then, you know, you get into what is wealth and what isn't. Certainly, a medium inco- income and family uh, in, in Canada would, wouldn't be uh, what I consider wealth. And moderate livelihood also talked about stuff like uh, regional and economic fairness, respecting traditional non-Aboriginal uh, fishers reliance upon the fishery meaning we as Nigma certainly don't have an exclusive priority to that resource to remove them so there has to be um, some type of collaboration and consideration there and I should have said right off the get-go on this question that the Supreme Court of Canada the justices as I understand it coined the term moderate lobbyhood uh, with with where the defense nor the crown actually introduced it the, the justices did themselves in their decision because I believe in what I've been told by a number of even constitutional lawyers is that neither the Mi'kmaq or other First Nations were prepared for that decision uh, when it came out and we actually 
it was in our favor, and certainly the Crown was not ready either because my understanding is that they basically felt that they had things, uh, well, that they would win. Uh, they wouldn't lose it. So it's important to remember that when you're talking about a moderate livelihood, you can't do that outside of the legal parameters and criterias set down in Marshall 1 and also what they deem Marshall 2, which was the failing to uh, hear the Southwest Nova Coalition's uh, application to rehear that uh, trial, although um, the Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear the application, that's went ahead kind of and did it anyway, because that's when they talked about, you know, you have the right to uh, manage the fishery, be a folk and regulate it and stuff like that. And I believe it also then referenced to the Gladstone Trilogy, where there's some additional potential government infringements allowed under Section 1 of the Charter. So, again, basically what it comes down to is, you can't talk about moderate lobbying, which is a specific legal term, without going back to the decision and looking at what the Supreme Court of Canada Justice has said on the criteria that the parties must consider when dealing with that. Uh, right. That, that so, uh, I guess you know, reading between the lines of the Supreme Court decision, the expectation is not that Mi'kmaq people will become wealthy off the fishery, but they have a right to make a decent living off the fishery. Absolutely, and to me what it means is to realize the vision of Marshall, uh, that decision for a moderate livelihood, that means each individual Mi'kmaq beneficiary and or other First Nations that aren't Mi'kmaq, that they would have a right to themselves and their family to make a moderate livelihood from the from hunting, fishing, and gathering, which certainly includes uh, integrally or big part of the fishery, um, yearly. It doesn't mean a moderate livelihood for chief and council, um, or aggregate right. the right about the individual Mi'kmaq people. It was a, a, a right uh, for every Mi'kmaq person not focused on, on bands, on First Nation government, for example. We were all the beneficiaries of, uh, of Marshall. Absolutely. And I mean, the way it is now, to be fair, this is my interpretation, my opinion, but the way it appears now on book value is that chief and council has been given the reins uh, by government under reconciliation principles. It used to be the old comprehensive land claims, but now it's the 10 principles of rights reconciliation uh, to settle our rights and title under Section 35. After the Marshall decision came down, we uh, heard that a, this new process will be set up, a Made in Nova Scotia treaty negotiation process. And um, so tell us about uh, what that Made in Nova Scotia process is uh, and who was involved in the process? Okay, it's a great question. I mean, it's kind of technical some of it, but I'll try and streamline it to get to that question directly. But I first have to introduce some stuff. I think the, one of the biggest things to remember is it all started back basically with an agreement, a trilateral arrangement between the Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia Canada Umbrella Agreement in June 7, 2002. And that set out... There was Nova Scotia, Canada, and the Mi'kmaq. There were three parties in that process absolutely we're talking about trilateral agreements and this what i just mentioned is the mother agreement which resulted to get to your question the made nova scotia process so under that original mother agreement 2002 what then come from that was um terms of reference for a you know um Mi'kmaq nova scotia consultation process a framework arrangement for developing a fishery governance and also um the which is a which they basically 
refers to the Made in Nova Scotia process. It's actually a Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia Canada framework agreement. But in general, that's the legal words, but in general, it's a Made in Nova Scotia process. So the mother agreement talked about all this stuff, and then they, just like clockwork, starting from 2002 up to now, they put stuff in place like consultation, a formal trilateral arrangement, and also the Made in Nova Scotia process. So it's important to know that they're all linked together. They're all linked together by the operative legal provisions and articles um, that connect one another from long-term settlement of rights and titles, including the fishery under Section 35, and how that would be done, how that would be negotiated, and how that would be agreed to under an overall purpose, all of this stuff, the end of the day, which we're coming up to now, a Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Accord that would settle long-term rights under Section 35 of the Constitution Act of 1982. At this point, I can I can anticipate our our listeners asking themselves, well, what is that? Are they negotiating a, uh, a new treaty? Is there going to be a new treaty that's going to come down and say uh, what our rights are vis-a-vis uh, -vis Canada and Nova Scotia? What what's you know what's the bottom line? And, and again, that's a great question because no, it won't be a modern day treaty. Uh, the lawyers at Camp Kano have said that, you know, we won't write a new treaty and this process is not part of a new treaty and stuff like that. But the reality is there will be an impact through just a simple, what it's going to lead to is just a simple trilateral Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia provincial federal government is represented by uh, Department of Indian Affairs and, and, and DFO through a simple administration agreement that will manage access uh, to our fishery rights under Section 35. So, no, it won't be a new treaty, but the infringement is there based on the simple realities of general contractual agreement laws of Canada that says if parties agree to something, and in this case we're agreeing to deal in our agreement with rights-based issues that we have now under Section 35 protected, through an administrative agreement, and then we're held by that agreement. So if it says fish on Tuesday for this much fish for this species and wear blue jeans or you get arrested, well, you'll come put a gun to your head and you'll be arrested. Because once the agreement's signed, there is, even if it claims that there's not an infringement of Section 35, by default it will be by what the, agree, the parties agree to within the actual trilateral agreement that they're negotiating. And I can get into treaty-related measure contribution agreements that's currently in place where these negotiations and discussions are currently under. And as you probably heard, or the viewers would know, that we're close. Uh, Chief Terry Paul, the lead fisheries uh, portfolio individual for the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs in the province of Nova Scotia, has said the deal is incredibly close. Although, as a Mi'kmaq individual beneficiary, I haven't gave, been consulted directly on any of the uh, negotiations under Section 35 for our rights in that contribution agreement. A lot of other Mi'kmaq beneficiaries, um, not only with my band, Acadia First Nation, but others I talked to also have told me that uh, no discussion has occurred with them directly today on consultation, ratification of the negotiation process, and all of it. So that's incredibly concerning. Yes. So I have to ask you then about what is the relationship between this process and rights under the Peace and Friendship Treaties, because uh, most Mi'kmaq people, I think, would be familiar with the Peace and Friendship Treaties that, uh, and we've heard about it in the news uh, recently uh, in an unrelated court case that uh, Nova Scotia is, um, and the rest of Mi'kmaq is on ceded territory 
ownership uh, possession title was never given up by Mi'kmaq people under the uh, so we have the peace and friendship treaties on the books as uh, as legal binding treaties so what is the relationship between the peace and friendship treaties and this uh, process and the administrative agreement that uh, will emerge um, yes we do have the peace and friendship treaties in place some of the most notable I guess you know 1752 uh, 1760-61, and, and others like that. They are important. They, they, these treaties and the Aboriginal treaty rights, uh, clarification and lack of a better word that has resulted over the last 20 plus years at the Supreme Court of Canada level that, you know, the, 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 the that's protected under Section 35 of the Constitution Act of 1982. The highest law in Canada is incredibly important. So yeah, nothing can supersede it. No agreement, no anything. Uh, should infringe um, the rights uh, under Section 35. But, like I said before, the relationship is simply this. Yes, the treaties are there and strong, and no administrative agreement, in particular, I believe the question related to the treaty-related measure contribution agreement that the negotiations are currently occurring under. Um, basically, the, uh, what it comes down to is, again, once you sign that agreement, although the agreement will have been there without prejudice. It's not intended to define or limit Section 35 rights and fishery and title and all that. By default of general law contractual principles of Canada, when parties sign an agreement, and in this case we're dealing with rights, fishery rights agreement, then we are hold and liable to that. And, of course, the government accepts and, and, and the Mi'kmaq people or members of particular bands in this project accept that their governing body is chief and council. So chief and council and the government of Canada, i.e. through DFO in particular, are negotiating all this stuff. They're signing an agreement. It's in secrecy under the Made in Nova Scotia process, which requires confidentiality, by the way. It says it right in the agreement. And they're going to come out with that. And it's going to infringe Section 35, and they're not even talking to us about it. Yes. So the players then here are the Assembly of uh, of Nova Scotia Chiefs, uh, and that's uh, those are 13 for are all so and all 13 First Nations uh, in Nova Scotia, I think, are bound because uh, even though Sabinacadie, uh, uh departed from the process, I think their signature still exists on the dotted line, so they may also be bound by what emerges from this process. Again, that's, that's right. I, I believe that that's totally correct because it all goes back to, again, and I know it's, it's you know, someday we never have a few hours to go through them all, but it all started in 2002, June 7, 2002, under the Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia Canada Umbrella Agreement, the mother agreement. Now, that agreement, you're right, that was actually the only one signed by all the chiefs, the 13 in the province of Nova Scotia. What immediately resulted in that, because it spelled out the process to reconcile our rights under a Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Accord, eventually all the work they're doing, they, they made a Nova Scotia process was that process that's come out under that agreement, as said in that agreement, uh, to reconcile and, and settle our long-term rights. So when people say, you know what, I did a BCR, Bank Council Resolution, and I'm pulling out a campaign. Oh, and there has been a number of First Nations in the province that have done that. And like you said, Subinadigate, uh, although they were signed part of the original mother agreement, they didn't sign either, though. Everybody else did. They made a Nova Scotia process. Um, they think they're safe. And by way of potential infringements under Section 35, but I believe they're not simply because these 
trilateral agreement signed between the Mi'kmaq, Nova Scotia, the province, and the feds, DFO, Indian Affairs, clearly say that the accrued benefit and liability within all these agreements, starting with the mother agreement in 2002, like I mentioned, accrues to all of the Mi'kmaq and Nova Scotia. Basically, we have a parliament of Canada. We live in a democratic country. So that's how democracy works. So I believe that is a false protection and belief that certain First Nations have, even i.e., uh, you know, um, being part of the assembly or not. A lot of the chiefs and or representatives, as I understand it, still go to these meetings, spearheaded by Cam Kano, where fishery negotiations and rights and title, reconciliation, discussions or, or meetings purpose to discuss this happen. And I believe their head is counted and they are part of the liability and they're still part under arguably nothing else at minimum, a democratic process to to reconcile our rights through the existing negotiations, now, even though a, they think they're not. Yes. Now, just a little footnote there. We've been referring to KMK and O, and uh, we should tell our listeners who might not be familiar with that uh, that agency. That's an agency set up uh, to under this process to give legal advice to the assembly of uh, Nova Scotia chiefs in this um, made in Nova Scotia process. So those that's the agency that has the legal beagles providing uh, the advice along the way. Is that is that correct? Basically how it works is you have the Assembly of Nova Scotia Chiefs and um, that body of Mi'kmaq Chiefs represents all 13 uh, bands in the province. However, I do believe one, Subanadigate, like you said, I know they're not part of Camp Kano. And I also think they formally withdrew from the workings of the assembly body, but all the others would be part of that. Um, so, yeah, and what KMKNO is, it's basically a legal administration arm, in lack of a better word, the workforce for all of the chiefs that sit on the board of the Nova Scotia uh, Assembly of Mi'kmaq Chiefs. So, yes, they are the legal arm, they administration, they spearhead everything. And that's, it's easy to see that because if you look at the treaty with the TRMCA, that, that current uh, contribution agreement to negotiation on our rights, is led by and signed directly between, as approved, I would suspect by resolution of the Assembly, to enter into negotiations. And they signed that agreement between DFO and the Cancano body directly as a contribution, contribution agreement, but certainly supported and directly directed by the Assembly. So what are people, what are... Uh, ordinary Mi'kmaq people thinking about this process. Obviously, people have been waiting for a long time for a moderate livelihood fishery to be in place so they can make a living, and people have been afraid to go in the water because of the sabotage to some of their boats in certain parts of uh, Nova Scotia. So people have been waiting for a resolution, and uh, so they might be uh, they might be looking forward to some announcement from uh, from Chief Terry Paul or someone else from the in the assembly about uh, formalizing a moderate livelihood fishery, but you have concerns. And what are your concerns about the possible outcome of this process? Well, yes, yeah, certainly people like myself as a Mi'kmaq individual, Mi'kmaq beneficiary of my band, is certainly looking for um, an, ama- an announcement and/or what I would say a commitment, a formal commitment in writing to to not so much reconcile but certainly uh, uh spell out the access and management criteria so that myself and my family along with all my other 
uh, with all the other members, I'm sure, will be able to access a moderate lobby without being harassed by DFO, arrested, uh, having their gear seized, stolen, or whatever, and in particular, non-Aboriginals, uh, so they would understand the whole legal process. My concern, though, is that would be great. But I would suspect that that's not the case because I've said at the campaignal uh, discussion tables internally for many years, um, and they're talking about a basically a, a self-governing type assertion, in lack of a better word, to 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 manage rights-based fisheries under this process. But they're doing so, like I said before, basically under a general contract that won't afford uh, the protections of Section 35, or respect or even have within it the, the criteria outcomes of the Supreme Court of Canada decisions in order, you know, that's the guidance how we reconcile our fishery rights and title long term. So without doing that, my concern is we have a simple just administrative agreement that if we break, um, we're going to go to jail, we're going to get arrested, we're going to get a gear seized, and further, um, chief and counsel won't afford us legal protection either because they'll be part of this agreement and liable to it. And it will not, it will not, it will not give Section 35 rights. And um, and we will take this, our access and management of our rights and title for fisheries outside of Section 35 protections in a simple agreement, and that is bad. Because what I'm hearing, and I can't prove, and this gets to the question too, I can't even get the information of the draft agreement that they're so close to signing. There should never, ever be anything signed for long-term or even in-term or incremental rights, fishery rights and title settlement under Section 35, unless, at minimum, there is a direct consultation with every individual Mi'kmaq beneficiary in the province of Nova Scotia and certainly a formalized ratification process to ratify that agreement and outcome. Because remember, the Mi'kmaq, through the Nadugalant law, has to conduct himself always, in particular as governors and representatives of the community chief and council, so that we can protect our rights and title um, of our treaties, our peace and friendship treaties under Section 35 for minimum seven generations. And this, and this process, as I understand it, does not do that. It's secretive. And, you know, I can get into the actual agreement that makes it secretive, but certainly under the TRMCA, it clearly says that it's held under the Made in Nova Scotia process, and therefore everything is secretive. And on page 18 of that TRMCA, it clearly says, all of the works here is the purpose to put a fishery team together to sign a rights reconciliation agreement at the end of this. And that exp TRMCA actually expires is from 2018 to 2022. So we're close. And just so you know, I don't know if we mentioned it before, a rights reconciliation agreement comes with it an administrative agreement that's enforceable by law, forgettable Section 35 protections, a 10 to 25-year at minimum non-assertion clause. Now, this was identified to the Mi'kmaq negotiators, Cam Kano, and our IRA was almost signed. Like you're aware, in New Brunswick, there's two or three now signed. Um, and, we, and we got everyone, we educated some chiefs, and they said, no, don't sign this. We need more work. That's fine. But, like I said, it's still on track to sign an RRA agreement under the TRMCA negotiators, Cam KO for the Assembly, and that's going to be a 10 to 25 year non assertion. Even so bottom, if it doesn't. Bottom line then is for, a 10, it's for 10 to 25 years, it's, it's as if the Peace and Friendship Treaties do not apply, and Mi'kmaq fishers will be subjected to a 
federal government regulatory regime almost as if they were, uh, you know, a parallel regime to any other fishery and or wildlife regulations, uh, uh, kind of separate from any rights they would have under the peace and friendship treaties. And that is my overall biggest concern as an individual Mi'kmaq beneficiary and for my brothers and sisters out there who are going to lose their ability to realize the vision of Marshall for themselves and their family to exercise a moderate livelihood under Section 35. We will be controlled by the same regulatory um, criteria uh, as non-Aboriginal fishers. Now, I want to make clear, I don't want a free-for-all. I don't promote a free-for-all. I want to strictly regulate it, access and management, self-government assertion, Fishery Management Regime under Section 35 of the Constitution Act of 1982. And I've actually drafted a 120-page plan. If you were on my site, make Acadia First Nation great, you can get that plan there. And, and I've actually had people get a hold of me from across Canada, um, you know, to start starting to see this. And they're thinking, yeah, you know what? By default, your, your draft plan will actually afford the protection because it captures all of the criteria outcomes of Marshall. And in particular, by default, under Section 35, it'll be protected because we're actually taking the legal definition of a moderate livelihood fishery and all its criteria. We're working with Passamaquoddy, Maliseet, all of the Mi'kmaq in, the, in, in Mi'kma'ki, the traditional seven districts, and even NGO and non-Aboriginal traditional fishers to look at a regional economic fairness approach in term and long term in a management structure that does make sense and will protect Section 35. So, yes, overall, the bottom line is we're just going to have an enhanced, I'll call it, in lack of a better word, we'll get a cut. From what I understand and what I'm hearing, and, again, this is only rumor because Cam Kano, the Assembly of Nova Scotia make my chiefs, my chief and council, nobody, nobody, all our representatives for the Mi'kmaq and me being an individual who's got a beneficiary, I can't get any of that information. So, and what I'm hearing this rumor, but if it's anything like the cannabis thing, the rumors come true because there's way too much chatter. This will simply come down to a simple administrative contribution agreement. And under the parliamentary laws of Canada, we will uh, have to abide by all the, all the articles. And it's going to give each band a couple more licenses, a couple more big boats. And chief and council can make more money because they totally control this process and licensing and or under the assembly still all the chiefs under that body, they will manage the fishery. But what about the little guy? What about the individual Mi'kmaq beneficiary like myself, my family, my brothers and sisters? When I go out there and they cut this deal, this administrative deal, and take it outside of Section 35, my rights infringed, my rights suspended, and I would argue after 10 or 25 years of non-assertion built within this agreement by its text or by it simply saying that we can assert rights and title under Section 35, during the life of it, even when it expires, what will result is a precedent. I'll give you an example. If you agree to two fish for your community in a year in an AFS agreement, food social ceremonial agreement, good luck getting four next year. You then got to prove, although you have a constitutional right above a privilege and a priority to that fishery, DFO is still going to harass you and threaten to arrest you unless you can actually demonstrate then that, you know what, I said I needed two, but now I need four. I made a mistake. Our community's growing or whatever. So that's my point. There will be a president set. It will be a simple administration agreement. The members will not benefit directly and, and, and realize the promise of Marshall. And to me, this whole process has just gone off the rails so bad. 
and I've been yelling and screaming, trying to educate people, we need to take a step back. When lawyers get paid $500 an hour to administer a simple contribution agreement like the TRMCA, like CAN KNO is getting, it's right in that agreement. I got a Freedom of Information request, the only way I got it, by the way. That's concerning. There's a huge interest there in maintaining this process that's been going on for over 20 years. Nothing's been settled, and it's not going to be. And if it is, it's going to be hurried, and it's going to be through a legal contract that infringes our rights, bottom line. Corey Francis is a member of the Acadia First Nation. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Mi'opigag First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.